0: Welcome to The Living Classroom, where we explore the daily living of three-stream Anglicanism. I'm your host, Alan Hughes. Welcome again to The Living Classroom. I'm Alan Hughes. I'm here today with Caleb Miller. Caleb is the uh, rector of Emmanuel Church in Destin, Florida. He's been there for five years as rector. And uh, Caleb is married with two children. And one of the things that he's actually working on, he's working on a D-man from Trinity School for Ministry. And that really kind of informs a little bit of our conversation today. Um, As we're looking at the topics of Living Classroom, um, Caleb is really working on how to invest in pastors in a way that really makes a difference. So um, first of all, welcome, Caleb. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be with you today. And yeah. And secondly, tell us a little bit about what you're working on, sort of what that big idea is. Um, what is it that you would share with the rest of uh, of Anglican clergy that might be encouraging? Tell us oh, the big absolutely. idea.
1: Well, you know, first of all, I'd like to say that um, I'm really on the front end of this, this work and this research and trying to understand um, some ideas about a non anxious presence. Um, and so you know, I reserve the right to change my mind in a year <laughs> about <laughs> about some of these things. And so um, really, I think what some of this revolves around is that um, I've been in some, some form of pastoral ministry now for 20 years. Um, when I started seminary at Gordon-Conwell, I was immediately placed into what they called mentored ministry, which was I was in a parish doing ministry alongside or under the leadership of a pastor. Uh, And I've been in churches, I've been in schools, um, I've been in Baptist churches, Congregationalist churches, and for the last, uh, well, 12 years, I've been in the AMIA and in Anglican churches. And and So one of the things that that has hit home with me is just my own personal experience of dealing with what I would call anxiety, um, an emotional reaction, uh, sometimes extreme, sometimes not extreme to things that, that pastors have to deal with. Um, for example, my, my first year of full-time vocational ministry, I did eight funerals and I was completely unprepared wow. and un, unequipped to do wow. eight funerals. Um, one year in when, when Anna and I, my wife and I were still living in California and I was working towards ordination, um, uh, getting ready to be ordained as a priest. Um, uh, uh, I had a student, I was teaching Bible uh, at the time at a Christian high school, I had a student who shot himself, um, committed suicide at 18 years old. And I had to, in that time, I had to, in a sense, sort of shut down my own grief, my own emotional reaction, because I had to be a pastor for 150 kids, uh, freshmen right. to senior, as well as try to help staff, um, and family, um, and so, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that, I, that I'm trying to figure through or work through and figure out is, is how can I, as a pastor, deal well with my own anxiety so that I can be in a healthy position to lead a church um, in a culture and in a context that is high in anxiety. Um, about a year ago now, I read Edwin Friedman's book, Failure of Nerve. Um, Great if, book. if you're not familiar with Edwin Friedman, he's a rabbi. Um, he was a rabbi in the Baltimore area, um, heavily influenced, was a student of Dr. Murray Bowen and the uh, the, the uh, system of family systems therapy or family systems theory. Um, and Rabbi uh, Friedman wrote a book called The Failure of Nerve. Unfortunately, he passed away as he was writing it. But he talks about uh, this development of what he calls a non-anxious presence. Uh, and so that the the pastor or the leader um, can function well inside of a context that that uh, may or may not be suffering with anxiety with emotional reaction um, and so you know I, what I've really been trying to do in the past year and I've only been sort of marinating in this for about a year now is just really try to think through biblically um, and systematically what does a non-anxious presence look like where does it come from Uh, because for as brilliant as Murray Bowen's work is for as brilliant as Rabbi Friedman's work is, it's not real, really well grounded in scripture. Uh, and that's something that I want to kind of think through and figure out. Um, you know, as a sideline to this, you know, I said that I wasn't very well prepared to do eight funerals in a year, you know, emotionally. what can I do with that? I just really feel like there's, um, uh, you know, a, a lack of preparation for pastors, in, in, our, in our seminary education, um, to deal with change, uh, to deal with what change does in a congregation, to deal with change from the culture, these transitions, and, and thus to deal with chronic anxiety. And so, you know, my desire is uh, to study, to think through, to work through, to write, um, really to help pastors develop a non-anxious presence so that they can be equipped to help their churches and to help the folks with whom they interact, navigate an anxious world.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is the work of pastoring being on the front lines is difficult. It's hard. It's getting ever more challenging uh, in a changing world. And that has a tendency to usher anxiety into the system and into you as a pastor and that our goal in the midst of that is to be a non-anxious presence to help us in our leadership. Let me let me ask this question because I don't think you're saying this, but this is not a binary state, is it? Either I'm anxious or I'm non-anxious, right? I mean, yeah. it, t- Tell t- 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 tell me that. Like, I, I want to be a non-anxious sure. presence, but I often do feel the anxiety of, and the stress of of life. So, wh- so
1: I. W- I think that if I'm reading Bowen and I'm reading Friedman, right. And, and I hope that I am, it, it's not a matter of being a non-anxious presence is not a matter of not hang, having internal anxiety. It is a matter of managing that internal anxiety so that you respond well in the context rather than react. So, you know, Bowen, right. he's writing, Bowen's writing in the 60s and Friedman uh, picks up on a lot of this. He He talks a lot, Bowen does, talks a lot about the difference between, reacting and responding Um, Mm -hmm. uh, anxiety is just an intense emotional reaction to something and if we react in that emotion uh, to use bowen's phrase we're responding with our reptilian mind
0: right right. right
1: we're just responding we're just reacting right you think about what comes out of your mouth when you hit your thumb with a hammer that's a reaction to the emotional the anxiety of pain right right well so what we're talking about is not not having anxiety, but rather being able to manage that anxiety so that it doesn't manifest itself externally.
0: Right. That makes sense. So before we jump into the practical, let me go back to sure. something you said. You were saying, hey, how is this going to be grounded in Scripture? Um, so obviously you've probably thought about that. How does this this idea or this thought – I mean, obviously there's some Scripture about, you know, don't be anxious about anything. but. Sure. T- t- tell, us, tell us a little bit about your, your, your grounding this in a
1: scriptural basis. Sure. Um, you know, the first thing, Bowen talks about the scale of non-anxious presence. He calls it self-differentiation, in which the individual is able to stay in contact with the community or the system that he or she is leading, but able to remain separate and have principles, stand on principle. So, and he has this scale from zero to a hundred, and in Bowen's own work, 100 was the most non-anxious presence possible, and zero was the most anxious presence possible. In Bowen's own work, he said, most people don't get above 70 ever, and even then it's not consistent. Um, So I think it was that uh, Dr. Bowen estimated that he himself, after a lifetime of doing this work and applying his own methods, Uh, to his family system, he was only at 70. So the first thing I would say is that Jesus is the only 100 non-anxious presence, if we can say it that way. You know, um, Jesus, I just think, look at Jesus. um, The great example of this, I think, is in John chapter 2. Jesus and his disciples and his mom they are at that wedding in the Cana of Galilee and they run run out of wine. What's his mom do? She comes to Jesus with her anxiety and she wants him to bear it. She says, they're out of wine. And Jesus' response is, what is that to me? Now, of course, he goes on and he makes wine. He creates wine. But he stays in contact with his mom while not bearing that particular anxiety. He's not worried about it because he's Jesus. He's not worried about it because he knows what he's going to do. He's not worried about it because right. he's, he's not being overwhelmed by the emotion of someone else's sort of situation. He, he refuses the triangle, so to speak, in that, in that term. So I would say that Jesus exhibits this non-anxious presence. And he also shows us that that this is not emotionless, right? Jesus grieved. Jesus was affected by the death of Lazarus. Jesus felt the pain um, and and concern over the coming crucifixion. Jesus was hurt. And yet he was able to manage what I think we can call anxiety, emotional uh, stimuli in such a way where he still did what the father had him to do. And he did it in a right and righteous way. So, you know, on the one hand, I would say that yeah. Jesus is the sort of perfect model for a non-anxious presence. Peter is not a perfect model for a non-anxious presence. You know, you think about what Peter does on the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. That is a perfect uh, triangulation. That is a perfect uh, example of his anxiety overwhelming him to deny Jesus. He can't stand on principle. He can't stand on who he is in his position.
0: Um, that's good. I like that i it just me I'm just thinking about Jesus and you know like the storms or feeding of the five thousand or in you know, all these things that he's even confronted with. He doesn't get anxious even when he hears about the death of you know his cousin John the Baptist. There's yep. grief, but it's not I hear what you're saying. it's not anxiety, so it's not hey, non anxious means no emotions. It means you know you're not having you're not letting the anxiety drive you're making you reactive instead you're responding maybe with emotions, but you're also responding with, you know, the truth of uh, who God is in that thing.
1: And and I think that, so part of this is it comes back to, for Jesus himself, it comes back to, he knows who he is. Like he has, he has full knowledge of who he is um, and who he is as the son of, as the son of the father. So when he's, I mean, I'm not, I'm from the middle of Kansas, Alan, I large bodies of water to me are swimming pools in the backyard and even those intimidate me. So I always get that story. Um, you know, uh, it, the gospel of Mark, I think is around chapter six, where Jesus has taken a nap in the middle of the boat in the middle of the storm. Right. And right. His, his disciples are flipping out. These are guys who spend their, a lot of them spent, uh, made their living on the sea and they're freaking out because the storm, they're afraid the storm's going to kill him. And they wake him. And they have to wake him up and they say, don't you, don't you care that we're dying? And Jesus is like, of course I care, calm down. And then he just says to the ocean, be still, right? The, the sea, just be still and things are done. He, he knows who he is. He has intimate connection with the father. He practices the spiritual disciplines. He knows his calling. And I think that we see in what Jesus shows us, I think that we can see sort of the key components of developing a non-anxious pastoral presence. Um, I'm really intrigued by this idea of knowing who you are yeah um, it's specifically an adopt the idea the theological idea of adoption um, Jesus knew who he who he is Jesus knows who he is um, as the son made flesh and uh, st. Paul writes in a couple of different places in Romans chapter 8 Galatians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 1 he talks about uh, uh, believers in Jesus being adopted to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, um, and I don't know about some, some folks who are listening, but one of the most secure things that, that I've had the privilege of having in my life is knowing that my father loves me, my, my earthly human father, my dad. I know that he loves me, and that gives me freedom. Right. I know who I am. I may be a lot of other things, and other people may think a lot of things about me, but I know that my dad loves me, my dad Curtis. Well, think about this in terms of the father who is in heaven. Right. St. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is testifying to us that we are adopted to the Father through Jesus. And that can't be changed. And that's not taken away. Somebody may be anxious. Right. We are in the middle of a pandemic as we're recording this. You know, anxiety is felt when a member of the church moves or dies. Uh, emotional reaction occurs when a marriage breaks up or when uh, two, a man and a wife are joined together. Um, uh, emotion occurs when a baby's born, when there's pastoral transitions, when there's economy is boom or bust, when a political election goes the way you want it to go or doesn't. I mean, emotion is re- whether our college football team even plays on Saturday or wins on Saturday, there's emotion. But none of that can change who we are in Jesus adopted to the Father. So I really, I think, and this is, I think, a big part of what I'm working towards is this this non-anxious pastoral presence and a non-anxious presence for a Christian, period, whether right. you're in pastoral ministry or not, is based upon this this theological truth of adoption.
0: That's great. I mean, again, going back to the scripture, it says, you know, it's clear, don't be anxious about anything. And then my reality is that sometimes I am. Yeah. And so I, I, what I'm hearing you say is, okay, that's the goal to move towards this non-anxious thing through prayer and supplication. But you're really trying to explore, okay, let me let me talk to you more practically how to live a life like that in the midst. And, and particularly for you, you're doing it for for clergy. Is that right? In your demons? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So why don't we shift into that direction sure. and start saying, okay, I, I want to live a non-anxious present. You know, I'd like to get to 70 I'm competitive. I like to get to 71. I like to take Friedman on. Right. right. Um, But what does that look like? You know, you heard things calling I heard adoption. I've heard, you know, the spiritual disciplines. I've heard you, you know, reading this book. What do I do? Um, You know, I'm, I'm writing sermons. I'm dealing with staff. I'm, you know, my, my plate's full. um, And I kind of catch myself rooting that something else doesn't happen because yeah. it might make me anxious right yep. you know and that's anxiety giving in itself so help me help me what might what are you thinking about practically what might you say to some of
1: those sure. um, Well you know a couple of things and again like I said as we began really early in, in some of this thinking um, you know practically speaking I, I think that we do have to continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to just continue to testify to us, to write on our hearts and our minds that we are adopted to the Father. And it's because of Jesus, and there isn't anything that comes along that can undo that adopting. Um, practically speaking, you know, of course, the spiritual disciplines are spending time in the Word, um, the reading Scripture, especially those aspects of um, what Paul has to say about adoption. Um, some of the Psalms uh, are just so you know, intimate in their portrayal of this honesty of this guy in prayer, whether it's David or another author, pouring themselves out to the to the to the to God, to the Father, with absolute honesty, with absolute vulnerability, and calling upon God for deliverance. I, I think we really have we, we don't pray the Psalms enough. Um as churches and certainly me as a pastor, I don't pray the Psalms enough and, and simply being willing to be honest with the Lord in prayer. Um I it's okay, I think and sometimes pastors need to be encouraged in this. It's okay to pray for yourself. You know, it's right. okay to pray. It's okay. Yes, we want to pray for our, our beloved church member who has cancer. But we also, we, we need to be able to pray for ourselves that we would be healthy, that we would be grounded in who we are in Jesus and recognize that, you know, when, when Jesus says the, that um, God knows the number of hairs on your head, it also includes us. And it's okay for us to pray in that way. Uh, And I think that some of those classic spiritual disciplines, again, what did Jesus do? Um, If if Jesus is the only 100 on that scale of a self-differentiation or non-anxious presence, Jesus spent time in solitude and isolation with the Father. Jesus spent time in prayer. Uh, Jesus spent time in community. Jesus spent time uh, reflecting on the Word. He knew the Word. And so you've got these, these things that have always been a part, or at least for the last 2,100 years, have been a part of the life of the church. The question is, do we take advantage of them? And I know for myself, I haven't, you know, that's right. You know, this isn't, trust me, this is not, uh, Caleb Miller having, having all the answers and telling you what you ought to do because he's done it so well. This is me trying to, you know, I'm trying to grope my way forward in some of these things, uh, to, to understand myself, um, I think that we we really do have to realize that this is internal work. This is about us and the work of the Holy Spirit doing or the Holy Spirit doing his work in us. This isn't us as pastors in sort of this adversarial way saying to our congregation, you need to be a non-anxious presence. I can't control anything that, that they do or say. I can control how I react. And part of that is the work of the Holy Spirit growing his fruit in me. And so I think, You know, there's some freedom in that to realize that this is not, my burden to bear is not uh, the whole thing. My burden to bear is that which the Holy Spirit has to do in me, if that makes any sense whatsoever.
0: No, it does. I mean, I I hear you saying, one, grow in that self-awareness, catch yourself in it, be aware of it. And if I'm out there blaming the congregation, blaming everybody, saying it's all their fault, you know, here's how to fix the church. Everybody else changes. And I'm not working internally on myself. You know, that's a yellow flag for you. Like, hey, so grow in self-awareness. The second thing I heard you say was, you know, that grounding in scripture is going to help with my identity and that Mm. adoption and and move it from my head to my heart. And then the third thing that you said and, you know, doing this podcast, um, you know, it's three stream Anglicanism. It's amazing to me, and you brought it up again. How everybody brings up the spiritual disciplines. What a yeah. great Anglican heritage, being connected to the past. You know, it's sometimes somehow maybe some of the evangelical world has lost some of those connections, and we're seeing that movement back. And I mean, those think those are three. I think very practicable uh, things. So th- that's super helpful, Caleb. Um, let me ask you one last question. It's a question I always end with, and that's like if you were going to summarize. What would your word of encouragement or um, what would you uh, say to, you know, the people who are listening to this podcast along this idea? What's your sort of closing thought, um, parting shot?
1: Um, There's a couple of things, I I guess, if I can't uh, just have one.
0: (laughs) You can have one in a part,
1: you know, A and B. and Okay. So I I would say this is that um, I have... You know, just personally speaking, I have a deep, deep love for the church. I, ha- I have a very high view of the church. I believe that the church is absolutely necessary for the, the good of this world. And, I, and, and because of that, I believe that pastors are both in a precarious position, but also in a privileged position. Because we have the opportunity to um, rightly, as, as we're called in our uh, ordination vows, uh, to rightly handle the word of truth and to rightly minister the sacraments. And so we can be in um, in really amazing, graceful ways, agents of God's grace to the people who believe in Jesus Christ and gather for worship. And so it is a privileged position uh, but I also think it's a precarious position, and and the more that our world, um, the culture, um, the world itself, the more that it regresses emotionally um, and is ridden with anxiety, the more it's important for there to be strong, capable servant leadership, preaching the word of God rightly and ministering the sacraments. And so I, I think that you know, one, we have to recognize both those aspects: it's precarious and it's privileged. The other side of this is that we can never forget that in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is working to transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God made flesh, crucified, buried, risen, and ascended. And so we talk about Jesus being the only 100. We're on our way because of the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So I think that that's one of the aspects— You know, we talk about three-stream Anglicanism. We talk about the Word. We talk about sacrament. We also talk about the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does, and I think is one of the most overlooked things, is that He transforms us little by little, step by step, as we cooperate into the very image of Jesus. And that, I think, is a word of encouragement. Because if you've been adopted to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit, then you're not on your own. The Holy Spirit is living within you. The Holy Spirit is transforming you. He's confirming your adoption. He's rooting your identity, not in what you do, but in what Jesus has done. The Father loves you, and he is at work in you. The Spirit is at work in you to create, in a very real sense, Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, I certainly know that I am nowhere near 70. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying that we're going to get to 100 this side of glory, but I do think that it's freeing to know that we're not alone in this. Yeah. That Jesus is okay. with us through the power of the Spirit. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, Caleb, I just I want to say thank you. I think you're 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 on to something big and um, we want to revisit as you continue this work and to see what shakes out. But uh again, I would say to everybody, hey, thank you for joining us on the Living Classroom. And uh until next time, we all say blessings.
1: Thank you. Bye. Thanks you, Thanks, Alan. Guys.
0: Thank you for joining us today in The Living Classroom. For more information about The Living Classroom community, please visit us at thelivingclassroom.org. Until next time, blessings.